The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going and welcome to episode 78 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. Of course, if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. Once again, joined by my co-host, Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter himself, at Hastings. Kevin, two more, Kevin. Two more. Two more bidding periods. Ten days left by the time bids go in. This Sunday, there will be 10 days left of the season. Most teams have will have 10 games left as well, if not more in very few cases. Uh, I think we asked you the same question last week, but I'll ask you again. Like, how, how's, how can you see the light of the tunnel, or are you still struggling to get to where you need to be in, in a few of your leagues? Oh, I got a lot of leagues coming right down to the wire. Head-to-head playoffs in a couple with really tight in every category with two days to go as as we're recording here. A couple of those go our two-week championship round, so it goes into next week. And as we get into the news and notes, there's a lot affecting those, and we we can't change our lineups for the second week. So we're locked in. Yeah, so that's going to be really exciting. And of course, the Roto Leagues, yeah, 10, 10 to 12 games for most of these teams, that's still quite a bit. It can really affect things a lot. So, yeah, this is really fun. This is why we do this. I think I shouldn't speak for everybody, but in my case, at least, this is the fun of this. And, yeah, it's going to be a really exciting week and a half. And then on a side note, ah, the Baseball has just been so much fun this entire season, especially the past few days, and the playoffs look to be no different. I, it's just a great time to be a baseball fan and a fantasy baseball player. Yeah, unless, like you alluded to, unless you are directly affected by some of the news and notes that we we will get to for sure. <laughs> Definitely affecting. I did not make it to the finals in my in my head-to-head home league that I was struggling for. So I'm not stressing during the recording of this, <laughs> but I am intently watching the finals. And let's just say one team is not doing so hot, and it's mostly to do with a couple of those news and notes items that we're going to get to. Yeah, um, one of one of my dynasty leagues is the consolation playoff round is for the first pick in the first year player draft. And I'm in that consolation round. I finished in the bottom half mm-hmm. of the league and but I'm in the championship after that first overall pick and 
it looks great when I open up the screen and it says I'm leading eight, three, and one, oh, but every single category is, like- yeah, every, <laughs> like I could easily finish two and 10. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. <laughs> great is the one word you could use. I'm sure there are other adjectives you could use. Yes, that's that's where I was going with that. All right. Look, we got a great guest with us this week that's going to hopefully alleviate some of the stress of trying to figure out exactly what we're doing with the rest of our fab money. And he is no stranger to the show. He's been on a couple times in the past. He's also no stranger to analyzing fab of course, I'm talking about Todd Whitestone. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Todd can be, he can be followed on Twitter at Telestar7. You can find a link to that on in the show description, of course. He breaks down all the fab trends from the NFBC main event every week. He talks about those results each week on the Pull Hitter podcast every Monday. He, you can find that article also on PullHitter.com for the remainder of the season. As he breaks those down, all those trends, and hopefully we can pick his brain a little bit more in this show about some of those things that he's noticed throughout the year. Of course, there are still two more to go. I venture to guess that a lot of the insights that he has isn't going to be fully affected <laughs> by these the couple of pennies that are going to be spent, but we still have them to go. So for now, Todd, man, thanks for joining us. Sure. Welcome back to the show. And uh, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm glad to be here. It's the second to last fab and it's it could be more important than the very last one i will say that because you got to set yourself up and for the few dollars as you said that people have left you, you really want to be strategic with these the, the second to last one and hopefully the the very last one is just a little tweak here or there yeah, if you even have any money left yeah, <laughs> after, right, the, after right, this right. spending. I don't put it past anybody for just spending everything this weekend and sure. just coasting, especially with a lot of the no- news that we've gotten. There's a lot of droppable players this week with only 10 days left. Anybody put on the 10-day IL or 15-day IL within the last day or two, easily droppable, obviously. Yep. Obvious yep. drops. A lot of flexibility as far as who you're going to hold on to, who you're not going to hold on to. But let, you know, let's we keep alluding to it. We let's get right into it. Then we got quite a bit of news to talk about that may affect your fab considerations. But this one, Kevin, I really want to get this right off off the plate. The most important thing that happened, I think, in this last <laughs> week, the Yankees they lost their biggest trade chip ever. They DFA'd Miguel Andujar. So who are they going to trade for Julio Rodriguez in two years? They don't have they don't have the chip anymore. Isaiah Kiner Falafa. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. If you pay attention to Yankee Twitter, that's what we're going to see out there, right? (laughs) No, yeah. And I think that the biggest takeaway here is that Miguel Andujar, to me, appears to be a guy that probably can improve with the change of scenery, getting out of New York, depending on his landing spot, and somebody I'm going to keep an eye on and see where he ends up for 2023. But this doesn't really affect the last week and a half of this season. Sure. Yeah, I can see that happening. Same thing that happened to Joe Shella leading off for the Twins the other day. So obviously getting a resurgence with a different uh, different location. So I could see that happening for sure. All right, Todd, let's get to some actual fab that might news that might actually affect what we're considering for this weekend and, and next weekend. The Red Sox, they placed Trevor Story back on the 10-day IL in a corresponding move, which I'm not sure how this corresponds, though 
Bobby Dalbach did play shortstop that one um, game. So, <laughs> so that's obviously what they were thinking, bringing him back up from AAA. He's been killing it in AAA Worcester. That's just my way of sneaking in how, the word Worcester into properly pronounced <laughs> podcast. But in your opinion, should Dalbach be in, on anyone's radar for the final week and a half of the no, season? I'm thinking no, uh, Adam, because he's going to maybe play against lefties once in a while, pinch hitter. He's been pretty bis- disappointing, as you guys have seen. He's 211 with 11 homers. He was a big target for some people at the beginning of the year, but he just hasn't delivered. So I think he's just going to be a fill-in. I wouldn't waste the time on him. I don't think he's going to play that much over the last week and a half. Yeah, they do have infield. They need the infield help now, but with, you know, Tristan Casas just hit a home run today, I believe. Yeah. So he's obviously filling in that first base spot pretty easily and he'll be he'll be on the opening day roster vying for the possibility of AL rookie of the year next year for the Red Sox I'm sure so I'm not sure right. what Dalbuck's future really looks like yeah yeah interestingly enough Casas has a lot to prove against left-handed pitchers so I hope the Red Sox are not going to bench Casas when a lefty comes in because I think the kid needs the reps I think he needs to learn how to hit him and rather than playing Bobby Dahlback when they're not going to go anywhere this season, I think they should give him the at-bats. Yeah, it's a common com- common theme that you see with especially rookies that, uh, that, that show that kind of trends with the splits. And it's really difficult to see that happening yeah. day in and day out. If you don't give them the chance then how would you expect them to get? You're just, you're digging them a hole and you're not giving them a shovel to get out. Exactly, exactly. All right, Kevin, we got another return from AAA, this time in Seattle. They they bring Jared Kalanick back up to the Mariners' active roster. And in his return, he goes good two for four with a homer in his first game back. Didn't look too happy about it. It was really weird. <laughs> not that excited to be back. Maybe just still a little butthurt for not getting called back up on September 1st. It is what it is. But can he be trusted to return to your fantasy lineups for the final 10 days? Trusted? No. He's three for seven. It's just two games. He has that home run you alluded to. He hit 18 home runs at AAA and hit almost 300 when he was down there. It's one of those things this time of year, there's some spots where we need to take chances and he might be one of those guys we're taking a chance with. I fully expect that he's going to get at bats the rest of the way, especially with some of the other injuries that Seattle is facing. So He's worth a shot in deeper leagues if you if that's what you need. If you need an outfielder, number one, chance at some power, number two, maybe even a stolen base here or there if that's what you're looking for. But we've seen this before multiple times. He hasn't performed real well at the major league level. But we also see a difference. Some of these guys perform better in September. There's different starting pitchers being run out there. Other teams are doing different things to, if they're out of it, taking a look at guys. So he, he could perform well over this last week and a half shallower leagues. There's probably better options rather than taking this risk, but in deeper leagues, I could see taking a shot here. Yeah. Like you said, the other injuries, of course, Julio Rodriguez going on the 10 day IL. So he is one of those easy drops we're talking about, which is Really difficult to say, considering (laughs) who he is and what he's been doing. But that does obviously provide a very direct opening for playing time for Nick to hopefully take advantage of it. All right, Toss, we can stop the pod anytime if you've heard this one before. (laughs) 
But shockingly, Nick Senzel, he also goes to the IL once again. Oh God, yeah. This time with a broken toe <laughs> ending his season. Shocking. Prior to the this newest injury, though, Senzel had been playing pretty much every day, manning center field for the Reds, also filling in at right. DH time. So with him out of the lineup for the final 10 days of the season for the Reds, who should be getting extra playing time for Cincy? And does it matter considering that the Reds play six of their final nine games outside of small park? I think that the guys that could benefit are Aristides Aquino, Jake Fraley, and Stuart Fairchild. Fraley is pretty much rostered in most NFBC formats, but Aquino might get more run now. And he's the interesting one because he has power. And if you're going to roll the dice and just look for a few homers, he's the guy to try to get. He's also very streaky, though. He's two for his last 23 as of yesterday. And I would say it's a real long shot. But I've heard of worse gambles if you need a few homers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I can say. Stuart Fairchild, I wouldn't bother with. He might get a few at-bats, but I don't think it'd be regular. So I think Cincinnati's kind of a wasteland. I was one of the big guys going for the nine-game week, the week before last. And I went with Friedel and Aquino, sure. and none of them really did anything. I don't know how optimistic I can be about the last week and a half for these guys. Yeah, especially when they're not playing most of their games in Cincinnati anyway. But we've seen what Aquino can do in a short sample. And if he starts hitting home runs, he probably won't stop (laughs) through the end of the year. Yeah, he could get hot. He could get hot. All right, Kevin. The Guardians, they called up some prospects pretty late in the season. Will Brennan and Gabriel Arias, in an attempt to hold on to their AL Central lead. Should there be any interest in these two guys down the stretch? Or is it just simply too little too late? It's really interesting because one thing we don't know is what the lineup is going to look like versus left-handed starting pitchers. As far as these two guys are concerned, they've faced three right-handed starters since these guys were called up and Brennan has started every game. And there's some interesting things here, a little bit of power, a few stolen bases in in the minor leagues. And there's some, moderate interest here for me unfortunately six games this week for Cleveland two of them scheduled to be versus left-handed starters so not knowing the way they're gonna use these guys when they do face a lefty and with every at-bat counting and being so important all season long but it's amplified exponentially right now because we know where we're at in our categories and that's what we're chasing down so probably too late to to answer your question but uh, if you really need an outfielder maybe brennan but it's really hard for Arias because he probably if he's going to play much at all will only be versus lefties that's fair it's hard to i in my opinion it's just hard to trust these kind of rookies in this kind of situation in general especially with only 10 days left like what are they really trying to accomplish with these guys speaking of prospects that are getting called up late in the season though in a this i'm not even trying to use the word shocking in a dramatic fashion like with sinzel shockingly (laughs) the rockies decided to call up a prospect uh, to actually play in actual games that one of their top prospects, shortstop prospect Ezekiel Tuvar called up by the Rockies, made his debut on Friday, got two hits in there, no strikeouts, but Todd, can this be trusted at all? I don't trust the Rockies as far as I can throw them. <laughs> I think what's going to happen is Tovar is going to really 
He's probably going to play well over these last 10 days. And then next spring, everybody's going to draft him. And then they're going to say, well, we got this veteran. It's going to be like Onu Cruz. Yeah, 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 exactly. Don't worry. The kid will learn from the bench. So anyway, I don't trust the Rockies. I think they're number 30 on my trust meter, if there is such a thing. But the kid is talented. He hit 14 homers, stole 17 bases in 71 games, which is a pretty good number at double AA, A, triple A this year. The problem is the Rockies are on the road, as I think you mentioned, after Sunday. And if they just rest him once or twice, it's hard for me to see, unless you really need steals, then I would be interested. But otherwise, they get the Dodgers. They're at San Francisco, not a great hitting park. I'm not sure he makes it over the hurdle for me in most cases. Yeah, there's the simple fact that, as we'll get to, the Rockies do not have another home game. By the time you're listening to this, they will be playing in their final home game of the season in Colorado. I'm avoiding Colorado hitters, as Kevin's been trying to tell everybody to do for (laughs) half the season the rest of the way. The only way I think I'm interested in Tovar is if I'm in a very deep keeper style league where you don't actually draft minor leaguers and you have to wait for a guy to get called up to the majors to pick him up. You pick this guy up and you stash him for next year, for sure, especially if it's a really low, if non-existent keeper cost because you're picking him up with the wire. But that's a very specific format that you're looking for. You should be listening to Keeper Cut for for (laughs) advice on that situation. All right, Kevin, away from prospects, the Blue Jays, they are going to be without Santiago Espinal for probably the rest of the season, if I got my dates correct. They place him on the IL. And he'd been playing in the infield, mostly second base for them for just about the entire season. How do you see his absence impacting the rest of the lineup and who fills that void? It's pretty interesting that so far, the way things have shuffled around, Whit Merrifield has actually started for the past five games for Toronto. And we're not expecting the two home runs like he had on Thursday night. And, but he does have hits in the last three games. He's got a little bit of a streak going. Maybe he's getting more comfortable with his new team. New City, all of that stuff. I think he's at least been benched in most every fantasy league, if not dropped. So there might be a little bit of interest here over the past week and a half. It appears he's going to benefit here with more playing time going forward, especially if he continues to hit. The big question is, will he steal bases? That's his value in fantasy leagues. His last attempt was on September 3rd, and he was caught. His last successful stolen base and his only one since joining Toronto was clear back on August 6th. So that is the question to me. Are they going to turn him loose if he is playing and gets on base? So far, it doesn't appear so. We can't count on those home runs. So if you're just looking for at-bats, hopefully some couple of runs RBIs and maybe he, he gets another home run or does attempt to steal a base or two the rest of the way there may be a bit of interest here but I think it's just a deep league play maybe draft and holds where any live body left at this point if you have him on your roster you might be thankful he's yeah. one of them and you can plug him back in yeah. That's that's how I feel about that, for sure. <laughs> I think most of the exposure I have to Merrifield is in those DCs and 50s. He's definitely been on my bench as of recent. And so it will it won't feel good, but it'll feel better putting him back into the starting lineup where I absolutely have to, knowing at least, like you said, it's a warm body that is able to swing a bat or is given the opportunities to swing a bat at least. All right, Todd, another IL stint here. Ryan Yarbrough, he hits the IL for Tampa 
after just returning to the team somewhat recently as well. So how is Tampa going to fill that rotation spot the rest of the way? I think they're going to put in Tyler Glass now, which is interesting, but I'm not sure how deep he's going to go into games. The rumor is that they're going to use a new call-up Garrett Clevenger to come on after Glass now is finished. But he's only been pitching one or two innings at a time, so he's not the classic Ryan Yarbrough piggyback guy. And that for that reason, I don't think he's going to be a good bet for a win in relief of Glass now if that's what happens. So I think I would avoid him. I'd recommend that other people don't pick him up. And if you're scrounging around on the Rays roster, some of these late inning guys, Jason Adam and Peter Fairbanks, are still available in some leagues. I'd say they they have a better chance for a win or even a save. I'd rather see people go for that than try to pick up Clevenger. Yeah, Tampa's pitching situation in Tampa is always a shoot of some sort to try to figure out what's going on or what they're going to do, when guy's going to get pulled, who's going to open, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting thing to monitor. We'll see if the fact that Glass now is even an option to come back um, by the end of the season is amazing to me. So I'm looking forward. Looking forward to seeing uh, how that goes. All right, Kevin, we got not an IL stint. We talked about Julio Rodriguez going on the IL due to back tightness. We got some other back issues happening in Atlanta with Ronald Cunha Jr. dealing with back tightness of his own, being held out of the last two games for Atlanta. Can Atlanta, who is still vying for the NLE spot or at least a playoff spot, can we trust them to actually play Acuna the rest of the way on a regular basis enough where we're he's an auto start in our in our lineups no for the weekend in in an nfbc league for example i played Rymel tapia in acuna junior spot and so far that's the right move tapia had a pretty good game friday but that's beside the point but acuna is not in the starting lineup again on saturday mm-hmm. so they're definitely going to want to have him healthy as healthy as he can possibly be for the postseason at the same time, they don't want him to be rusty, though. They're going to want to get him some playing time and at-bats. My concern is for my teams with William Contreras because he's Ronald Acuna is probably the designated hitter when he does return mm-hmm. for some games. So there's some other things in the Atlanta lineup that this really affects, one of which being William Contreras, who with Acuna out of the lineup or even when he's playing in the outfield, Contreras is in there at designated hitter on the days he's not catching. And this really puts that in jeopardy. I feel like Contreras' name has come up quite a bit with all the shifting around that we've seen Atlanta happen between Albies coming back for a minute, Grissom and everybody else shifting around with kind of, as you mentioned, having Acuna having to play DH and whatnot. So it's on Contreras along with a bunch of other catchers throughout the league, especially younger catchers have been playing a lot more. And if you were relying on that, that is, that is not something you want to, you want to hear with the final 10 days of the season. We'll stay in Atlanta for our last note here, Todd, with unfortunately Atlanta (laughs) losing their best pitcher for the remainder of the regular season. Spencer Strider, he got placed in the 15 day IL he won't be back until the postseason. Hopefully he is back for the postseason. What what results what does this result in for Atlanta's rotation spots through the last 10 days? First of all, I'm gonna cry inconsolably because he's on a bunch of my teams. He was really helping me, and I was hoping that there would be a couple more starts for him down the stretch. He's been great. 
I was talking to Rob DiPietro on the Pull Hitter podcast this week, and I was saying that I did go for pitchers that did not have a clear role this year, and I went one for three. Strider was the win. Then I was the uh, win, though. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. It was great, no doubt. But I also got Whitlock and Ashby, who I was very high on, and I thought they'd be really good, and they really have disappointed, in my opinion. So with this news, Strider was still a fantastic ad, but it makes me question whether my whole strategy was really valuable or not. But the result, more importantly, the result I think is going to be that Bryce Elder, Bryce the Elder, as he was known in ancient times, he's going to fill in probably. And he's been very good. He's 18.2 innings pitched in his last three starts in recent days. Only two earned runs in those 18 innings, 22K, seven walks. He didn't get a win, but if he does that again, he's very likely to qualify for a win. I think he's pitching a little over his head, to be honest with you. But I would say an Atlanta pitcher is certainly attractive at this point of the season, and he's got a good schedule, which we can touch on later. So uh, certainly that is something to pay attention to. Yeah, especially any anybody you're picking up in the in the starting rotation who actually has a spot or who has right. starts scheduled, all that matters almost pretty much is who they're playing, who are they pitching against, yeah. what kind of opportunity are they going to be presented with, and so if you've got a guy that's going to start three more times rather than two more times with really good matchups, then a guy like Elder, we'll, we'll get into some of the schedules specifically a little bit later, is definitely somebody that should be. Uh, probably picked up in a good chunk of leagues, if not 100% rostered by the end of this fab period. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for our news and notes section of this episode. As always, I'm sure we missed a bunch of stuff worth noting. Keep up with all the news of the day. Make sure you're listening to the First Pitch Podcast. Chad Young, Scott Chu, and Daniel Port. They break down the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy leagues in the final days of the season. Just a moment. We're going to talk to Todd a little bit more about the overall trends he's been seeing in fab results across of one of fantasy baseball's most competitive leagues, the NFBC main event. Before we do that, we are going to take this quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show we are back. And of course, you are listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by co-host Kevin Hastings. And this week, we are joined by special guest Todd Whitestone, who 
on a regular basis breaks down the fab results of the NFBC main event. A written version of this ongoing series has been posted on sbstreamer.com most of the season, but recently for the remainder of the season, you can check it out over at pullheader.com, now coinciding with the audio version of his weekly breakdown on the Pull Hitter podcast with Rob DiPietro, a friend of the show. Todd, no no strangers to the show as well. This is, as we were talking right before we started recording, your third time on On The Wire. So now you are now at the top of our (laughs) guest list. Congratulations on that milestone. Definitely the biggest milestone that we've seen in baseball this week. (laughs) I think it is a big conversation. And I heard that Kevin's going to invite all the people that get up to three to a January month at his house. In Hawaii. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting my rewards. There we go. (laughs) That is something to look forward to. So there's still a couple, you know what? There's still a couple of episodes before that big event, Kevin. So maybe we can get some repeat guests back on the show to bring up that, uh, that guest list. More the merrier. There you go. All right, let's, Todd, we wanted to bring you on. We did the same thing last year, like the yep. second to last episode of the regular season. You do a fantastic job week in and week out of really breaking down what's going on in FAB, like we said, in the NFBC main event. 15 teamers, one of the most competitive leagues there is in yep. fantasy baseball based yep. on the amount of people that play, the amount of money that is needed to participate. And so... You picked a really good league, obviously, to use as an example. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, in a very overarching way, what kind of trends have you noticed in 2022 compared to what you saw in 2021? Obviously, coming off after the shortened season, COVID, all that, and now this week coming off the lock, the lockout in 2022, we haven't had a <laughs> normal baseball season. Right. Hopefully, until 2023, we'll see that. But for now. We've had two very variable seasons. How do they compare? How have they compared from what you've seen? Yeah, it was a little weird. All of us saw that at the beginning of the season. It was a little bit of a rough start for some of the players. But I think that the biggest difference, Adam, was that in terms of the fantasy owners in the main event, they spent their money really much a little bit faster at the very beginning in 2021. And I think it was maybe a result of in 2020, we had a really short season and they were used to really spending quickly. And they carried that over to the very beginning of 21 and then slowed down. But in 2022, people were a little better at the very beginning, but then quickly caught up. And I have some numbers I can go over later just to, to show that it really wasn't all that different after a few weeks. But the other difference I found, Adam and Kevin, was that this year, the fantasy managers were more focused on the younger players. Maybe that was a function of who was being called up and who was available. But in 21, it was a little bit more about closers and possible closers and spending a lot of money there. This year, there were a lot of young players who were either called up or returning after injury. And those guys commanded most of the money each week in large measure anyway. Yeah, I wonder, I, you could tell me if you have the same information really, but like my theory would just be that all the talk of paying up, quote, paying up for closers at the top of drafts in yeah. going into 2022 really was a very specific strategy that would save you fab 
to go after other positions. That argument can be had whether or not that is worked or didn't work, depending on which closures you actually paid up for in the draft. But I'm not surprised to hear you say that based on all the talk that we either participated in or heard throughout the the preseason or the going into draft season, going into 2022. Yeah, Um, Yeah, there were definitely some fantasy managers that were a little bit more set on their closers, but there's still a finite amount of closers. There were always fantasy managers that needed saves. And so I think if there had been more possible targets for them to bid on, I think there would have been money directed their way, but it just was the candidates were in Cincinnati and Tampa and and places where it really wasn't that helpful to focus in. So I think that was a function of why the spending was a little less on closers, not so much because of the preseason strategy. Yeah. Also, I think a couple of the guys, Clay Holmes comes to mind. He was very useful to teams prior to coming into the closer role. So people had picked him up cheap earlier in the season. Yeah. Finding use for guys that like, like you said, Todd, finding the guys that don't really have a set role, but are still going to be useful as, as Kevin mentioned with Holmes really brings down the price when they do jump into a more favorable role. Were there did you see, I think you touched on it a little bit, but do you have any other insight as to when Fab was spent? Was it spent earlier in the season, later in the season compared to 2021? And really what I want to get to this here is also, is there any kind of correlation between the standings and Fab's expenditure? Okay. When can we really expect a team to be out of the running in Fab and, that, and thus... When can we start spending, people who are spending our time and effort, when can we start bringing down our bids knowing that the trends show that half the league is going to stop paying attention? All right. So those are two separate questions. But on the first question, I did a little chart that I put in our notes and I'll try to read it so people can hear what the numbers were. But after five, I'm going to read the amount spent for 21 and 22 in the main event and uh, it, as you'll see, it's not that different. After five pad, fab periods, it was 318, 21, 244, and 22. So a big, in, much higher total in 21. After 10 fab periods, though, it was 580 versus 563. So it was mm-hmm. almost gone. And then that sort of followed the rest of the periods. 15 fab periods, it was 732 versus 747. 20 fab periods, 874 versus 873, almost identical. After 25 fab periods, it's 932 versus 936. So it was just that first five or 10 where there was any kind of difference at all. And so I think this opens up an opportunity for people to say, this is how people are going to spend their money. If you know that, you can map out what you want to do in relation to that. And I put together a suggestion for fab budgeting for 23 of spending 200 in the first five fab periods total. And then in the second five fab periods, spending 200 again. And then the third five fab periods, spending 200 again. And that would have you at 600 versus in the last two years, the people are at 732 versus 747. So you'd be well under and you'd be in good shape to spend more. So I think the key is you don't want to spend nothing because there's a lot of good players that are available in the first 
5, 10, 15 fab periods. Kyle Wright and other guys came out then, and if you weren't bidding on them at all, you're missing out. But you do want to lag a little bit, and I think this sort of a strategy gets you there so that you have more in the last part of the year, and you're still participating. You're still getting some guys. And I think that's the key in my analysis in following this carefully over the past two years is that you want to lag a little bit, but you don't want to be piling up huge amounts of money that really cannot be put to a good use in the last part of the season. Yeah, I find myself in that scenario personally in a couple, especially my 12 teamers, and Uh I'm going to spend it. Don't worry, I'll have zero dollars when the season is over, but I am spending triple digits on some players because I just have way too much money and no Yeah, Yeah, you can make two mistakes. There's two mistakes. One is spending too fast and too early, and the second is spending too slowly. And I'm trying to thread the needle here and say this is the this is what you should aim for. Obviously, every team is different. Every you have needs that you have to try to fill, but. If you can aim for that, I think you're in the best shape possible. And then, Adam, to your second question about the standings, and Kevin and I talked about this in our earlier pod. I did an analysis last year, which I'm hoping to repeat this year, about whether early spending, heavy early spending, creates a better finishing position. And the result was, I won't bore everybody with all the details, but the result was that people that spent heavily early, big dollar amounts to get players, they might have gotten very good players, but they ended up finishing lower in general than than other players that spent more evenly. So I would like to check that and do that again this year. But my suspicion is that you you don't want to, even if you get a really good guy like Kyle Wright, for example, for $200, $300, you don't want to, that's not a winning strategy if you do that in the first 10 fab periods. So I think that is my takeaway so far, unless I'm, I prove myself wrong, is that it doesn't help you, even if it's a good guy, to get to spend really big early. Yeah, you put your, obviously you put yourself in that hole come mid-season even as early as that right. when there are still plenty of teams that are paying attention and still players that are coming up. As you alluded to at the beginning, a lot of young talent out there this year, perhaps, perhaps persuaded to be called up by their major league teams due to the the things that the the teams could get if their players get into rookie of the year status, or at least the, or what have you not worried about the playing time as much as they once were. And so but we saw, but we saw players come up all year long. It wasn't just opening day. It wasn't just in the right. first couple of weeks of the season. We saw, as you kind of mentioned, a couple of these guys, Von Grisham coming up later, Vinny Pascantino, we talked about quite a bit, et cetera, et cetera. Nolan Gorman coming up later in the season. These are all names that were quite popular. And if you're bidding all that money on Matt Brash in the, in the first week, right. you're obviously losing out on the possibility of one of these guys coming up and being able to actually play a role on your team yeah. rather yeah. than just going after a name for the sake of going after a name early on yeah. in the season. Yeah, even if there weren't all these young players, and there were a lot of them that came up regularly throughout the year, even without that, there's always going to be guys that are available in your league that are worth really helping your roster. And if you 
spend $212 on Matt Brash or Josh Lowe. Even, they turned out to be bad pickups. But even George Kirby, I have one team where I spent big on George Kirby, and he's been really good all year. He's been a great ad, but it really, I think in the end, was not a good pickup because I think I spent too much money and that team didn't have the flexibility to get some of these other guys. I, I think, think that, that flexibility you're talking about is the biggest factor in yeah. putting all your eggs in one basket and not having any more eggs to pay for other players. Exactly. Yeah. You got to try to get the guys for $40, $50 and get five of them rather than one $250 guy that might be really good. But fantasy baseball is you're going to have rosters of 23 or so. Having one great pickup is not really going to move the needle enough, I don't think, usually. Kevin, did you see yourself trending in any different direction throughout this season compared to what you went into 2021 doing? Maybe a little bit. And I think one of the takeaways here, when Todd was here at this same time last season and again early this season on both occasions, and he wrote an article about it early in the offseason, was about how bids start to come down in general after five or six weeks. And it, it appears to me that a lot of us listened to Todd. Right. The bidding was down. The difference between 2021 and 2022 for that first five bad bad periods, bidding was down 23% of what was spent. That's a big number. And then by after 10 fab periods, that had dropped to only being 3% less. So it was all made up for in in those weeks six through 10. I think a lot of us listened to what Todd was telling us. I think you're overestimating my reach, Kevin, but I think I think really for 21, people were just fired up to spend. And I think that was part of it. I think it, people naturally slowed down. But I think it, the, if you plotted these two curves, they're almost identical by the end of the year. And mm-hmm. so I think that we can all benefit from that, knowing how our leagues are going to spend their money and just say, I'm just going to lag that number. Yeah, I think this is I think that's a good concept to, to think about is the fact that it all comes out at toward the yeah. same at the yeah. end. It's just when can you pick and choose when you have to bring up your prices, when you have to when you can get away with bringing it down a little bit. Those are the types of trends that I think obviously will save you fab and possibly even win you more bids. But this is all great. Make sure you guys are all checking out Todd's final couple of articles over at pullhitter.com and listening to him and Rob talk about this every Monday, I believe that is when the episode yep. comes out. So it's nice. It comes out right after fab clears out. You can listen to us talk about who you should pick up and you can listen to (laughs) Todd and Rob talk about who actually did get picked up and for how much. But let's talk about some of those guys now, guys, who we should be considering to pick up for the final 10 days of the season. As I alluded to, I'll probably be spending almost all, if not all of my fab this weekend, leaving a dollar or two for in case of break glass, in case of emergency situations for next Sunday. So I'd be very interested to hear who we are targeting for the different reasons. So let's start as we always do in our power categories. We got some home runs. We got some RBIs in need. Kevin, who might be hitting a couple bonds for us this week and in the final 10 days of the season? Yeah, this is for deep leagues only, and it's a big risk, but a guy hitting in the middle of the lineup some days towards the bottom others for the Oakland athletics and with a 43% strikeout percentage isn't 
real appealing in some cases. But Dermis Garcia for the Oakland Athletics playing first base most days does have five home runs and 18 RBI and only 90 plate appearances. The power is real. I mean, he's slugging 476 in spite of that 43% <laughs> strikeout percentage. A true three outcome guy. If you're protecting batting average or you're in a points league that gets negative for strikeouts going into a championship week, this is not your guy. But in deep <laughs> leagues, when if you just need a home run or two and that can help you a lot and some RBI, Dermis Garcia, I think, is a is really interesting here. I think there are plenty of us in that scenario where I, I know I at least have one league where like I've dropped and or benched anybody who steals bases because there's nowhere for me to go up or down from where I am in that category. But I'm within maybe one or two home runs, both up and down in my spot. So I'm totally targeting that kind of that type of a player in those scenarios. So it's a good call out there. Todd, who any other power hitters that you might be looking at this week if that's what you're looking for? Yeah, I had a couple of suggestions. Uh, if Kevin thinks he's got a three-outcome guy, I got one that's even better. Carlos <laughs> Santana for Seattle. He's only 10% rostered in 12-teamers and 62% in the main event. In his last two weeks, he's 10 for 46, 217, but seven of his 10 hits have been homers. So if you need a corner guy and you don't worry about – not worried about average – Carlos Santana is your man. He's either getting hitting a homer or he's going back to the dugout pretty much. So it's it's a reasonable gamble if you need power. And then the other guy I wanted to mention if you needed a middle infielder was Kyle Farmer, who's actually been pretty good over the last – I was uh, denigrating the Reds before, but he's 74% owned in 12-teamers. He's all completely owned in the main event, but he's batting 208 the last two weeks but with four homers. And if you're in a 12-teamer, I think he's a really good guy to have. I think he's hitting in the middle of the lineup, and there's a lot worse gambles to make, I think. Yeah, I'm playing every day. And even though they're not playing in Cincinnati next week, they still have plenty of games to play, and they do finish off the season back in Cincinnati. All right, if you are in the opposite situation that I just described and you're you're only looking for speed, let's look for some guys that might score some runs and or steal some bases for us. Kevin, who is out there that can fill these categories for us? Yeah, this is another situation where if you're protecting batting average, this is not your guy. But Akil Badu is stealing bases again. He's got a couple over the past week. Too successful. He was caught once. He's been caught five out of 11 attempts on the season. So it's really good to see that recently he has been successful on two of three attempts. Uh, The Tigers face five right-handed starters out of their six games this week. So he will be in the lineup. He'll be at the bottom of the order. Has put up some runs recently. I've picked on him with a couple of pitchers and got hurt. They were putting up runs against my Royals in in recent games. Detroit's been scoring some runs. So even with him being in that eight or nine spot most days, the top of the lineup can drive him in so he can help us in that run category as well. Yeah, and runs off often alluded to as the one of the most forgotten categories in fantasy baseball being at the bottom of the order even though you probably lose that plate appearance that extra plate appearance that if you were at the top still put you in a position even in a poor lineup like Detroit gives you more opportunity to score runs with the top of the order coming in after you Todd anybody else any other speedsters out there that can help you in these two categories yeah I think the first guy here I got uh, 
I'll be able to discuss only because I got to the show document first, because I'm sure Kevin would have brought him up. Oh, I was so disappointed when yeah, you already yeah. had him Steve, on there. <laughs> you got to be fast. but And this guy is fast. Nate Eaton of Kansas City. He's only 3% owned in 12 teamers, 6% even in the main event. He's actually hitting. He sees not a batting average drainer. It doesn't look like it. And he had five steals in five games this past week. He's eligible right now in the outfield, and I think he's really close to getting eligibility in NFBC at third base. So he's the number one pickup for steals, I think, in across NFBC leagues. He looks like he's just going to run, and I think the Royals, as Kevin has mentioned before, they, they give most people the green light if you show you're able to complete the steal package. And then the other guy I wanted to mention was Remel Tapia. So he's plays for Toronto. He's 18% owned in 12 teamers, 81% in 15. And he's hitting 263 over the last two weeks with a homer and three steals. And I also have noticed, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I've noticed that the Blue Jays are actually running more late in the season than they were earlier. Bichette wasn't really running and he's running now. And I think they've decided that's an, a commitment they're going to make. So anyway, I think Tapia... Is going to be in the lineup. I think he's going to run, and I think he's a source of speed if that's what you need. It is interesting to see the trends that teams take, the ebbs and flows of when they right. run throughout the season and when they don't. Toronto, as you mentioned, even letting even letting Springer run as much as he does yep. with his health concerns, whether it be obliques or legs or whatever. So the more regret, they just see the opportunities that they have in front of them, and they're deciding that it's worth the risk. Get back to Eaton, as you mentioned. Yeah, he has had nine games going into Saturday at third base, so he only needs he the one more. He is in the starting lineup on Saturday at third base, so we okay. should be good for third so base for are. next week. He can fill a corner spot if you need him. Yeah, so he'll have that outfield third base eligibility by the time you bid on him. That's nice flexibility to have for sure. All right, let's get to, we alluded to schedule. Schedule is everything with only 10 days left in the season. Let's get to some notes on that and then see who can take advantage of those guys. There's We had no teams last week with only five games. We do have a handful of teams that are going to have two off days this coming week. Houston, the Mets, Atlanta, and Arizona all have Monday and Thursday off. So they will have the full three games set on the weekend, but only two in the first half of NFBC lineup changes. There are two teams that have seven games in seven days that's baltimore and boston as we talked about last week they do not have an off day for the remainder of the season and but philadelphia and washington they have a double header on saturday so they will still have seven games despite each of them having an off day in the first half of the week so that's a nice little four game weekend string for those two teams there are a whole bunch of teams off next monday so there's something to consider for this monday excuse me tomorrow if you're listening mm-hmm. to this on sunday baltimore boston new york toronto Sorry, New York Yankees, Toronto, Atlanta, Washington, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh are the only teams playing on Monday. So those in daily moves leagues consider players that are going to be on those rosters. Colorado, no more home games the rest of the season. By the time you're listening to this, they've either finished or are finishing up their final home game of the 2023 season. Something to consider. And... There's a, for the, just getting ahead of ourselves for that final three days. There are a couple of double headers, as we mentioned last week. Texas in New York, Yankees, they play a Tuesday double header, as well as Seattle and Detroit Tigers, they play a double header on Tuesday as well. And 
there is no game 163. That's not an option. So just know the season will end on that Wednesday on the 5th of October. October baseball is alive and well with all teams, (laughs) at least for the first five days of the month. With all that in mind, guys, Kevin, who is going to take advantage of what we have presented to us in the final week and a half. Yeah, this is a guy I mentioned to keep an eye on this week, last week as a wild card. We really didn't have a clear picture of how much he was going to play, but Edward Olivares played every day this week. He's only got 86 plate appearances on the season. Kansas City's not in a postseason race. Makes perfect sense for him to see what he can do, get him some more at-bats this season. And the added advantage is in NFBC formats, Baltimore and Boston are the only two teams that have four games in the first half of the week. Everybody else, just three Kansas city facing two left-handed starters in their three matchups versus Detroit early in the week. So that is an added bonus for Edward Olivares in those formats may or may not want to continue using him against righties versus Minnesota over the weekend but definitely for the first half of the week. He's 70% rostered in the 15-team main events, but only 20% in 12-teamers and 2% on Yahoo. So pretty widely available at everything below 15 teams, even 30% of those 15-team leagues. Love it when we get to talk about Edward Olivares playing every day in Kansas City and not worrying about having to get in that taxi to drive to Omaha. Todd, anybody else that you see that could take advantage of the schedule coming up, their matchups, or anything else that they have on their plate? Yeah, I picked out a couple of guys that are eligible at multiple positions because sometimes we need that late in the season. Zach McKinstry and Rodolfo Castro of Pittsburgh. McKinstry has second base, third base outfield, and he's widely available in 12 and 15s. Rodolfo Castro is not so much available in 15s, but he has second base, third base outfield as well. And they both have been hitting in the top of the lineups and they've been producing for the most part. Castro has five homers in two weeks and McKinstry has two. I would say give these guys a look if you're in need of somebody that can straddle multiple positions. And they certainly can give you counting stats, I think, over the last week and a half. Yeah, that's fair. That flexibility, especially if you want to fill up your roster ahead of time with, I think we're going to get to a little bit with extra pitchers to fill in those openings for the final half week of the season. The flexibility is on your lineup is, is greatly appreciated in most scenarios. We are going to talk about some pitchers. This is a tough one, guys. It's tough to talk about who you're looking at for wins and Ks, and then also ratios. They go hand in hand. And if you're looking at volume in general, it's tough to map that out. So we're going to we're going to stick to it, guys, and you guys can take this in whatever direction you want to. Of course, we break it down in the counting categories first. We got wins and Ks ahead of us. Todd, who, I'm going to start with you with pitching. In what direction do you think you're going with in the, in this in this scenario? If you're strictly looking for the again those counting categories, yeah, if it's counting categories. I'd like to go for the starters if somebody decent is available. But I do want to mention that we're talking a lot about NFBC, which has this little three day period of the third to the fifth of October. Not every league is going to be like that, but if that is the situation. I think you're wise to think of some relief pitchers that could be on your roster for that last three days because some starters are not going to get 
the assignment in those three days, even if they're scheduled, they might get skipped over. But I did, I made a list, guys, of nine pitchers who have good matchups, have two good matchups over the last week and a half, and I think are largely unowned. And I think that they both fill, they almost all fill the bill for people that are looking for strikeouts and maybe wins. And so let me read them off and I'll just quickly go through what their matchups are coming up because I think these are guys that people can jot down and maybe look if they're available and whether they like them themselves. But I have number one is Cody Morris of Cleveland. He gets Tampa Bay and Kansas City yet to go. Then second, I have Bryce Elder, who we mentioned. He has at Washington, at Miami. It doesn't get much better than that. That's nice. Then Michael Lorenzen versus Oakland at Oakland. That's probably even better, except I don't like Lorenzen quite as much as a pitcher. But he doesn't really strike guys out so much. But you can't argue with the matchups. I have fourth listed Hayden Wisniewski of the Cubs. He gets versus Philly, which is a little tough. At Cincinnati on the very last day of the season. So that's a little dicey because one rain out or change pitcher and he might not start. But again, I, he's pitching really well. I do like his approach. Number five for me was Braxton Garrett, who just came back. He's at Milwaukee versus Atlanta. Not the greatest matchups, but he's been pitching well all season. Then maybe number six, I think Kevin likes this guy. Jonathan Heasley of Kansas City. He gets at Detroit, which is could be the best matchup of all, and then at Cleveland. And then 7-8-9 are Matt Manning, Graham Ashcraft, and Eric Lauer. They'd be lower down the list for me, but all of them, if you check the pitching schedules, have good matchups and are worth a shot depending on your situation. So there are a reasonable amount of guys out there that you can fill in. I thought it was mostly going to be relievers, but if you get one of these guys as for two starts, I think it really can help you quite a bit. Yeah, it's interesting to see talk about these two quote two star pitchers across these next ten days rather exactly. than just looking at seven. But as I talked about earlier, in the scenarios that I have a lot of money to spend, I am going to spend a bunch of it this week. But I will save myself anywhere between two and ten dollars in fab just so I can fill every pitching slot right. on, on my roster for the final week with players that I know are going to pitch. And if they're not going to start, they're off the roster and I can fill yeah. in with as many middle relievers as we'll get to that yeah. later. Yeah. Now one other thing <laughs> for me is that I think everybody, especially for the leagues where you're in contention, you should actually go to the trouble of writing down the matchups for all your starting pitchers and take a look at them and say, do I want these or do I want, some replacement because you might find that a guy that you think is just a good pitcher just has a lousy two starts and you might rather have one of these guys or another guy. So I would go to the trouble of writing it down. It helps me when I write stuff down and just say, do I, is this something I want or is this something I would rather skip? All right, Kevin, uh, Todd took a bunch of names. Did he leave any left over for you that, to no. consider? <laughs> yeah, I got a couple of guys that have two starts this week, and they're widely rostered and almost universally in 15-team leagues. Shockingly, Luis Severino is available in one main event league, and 32 of the $200, $350 online championships 
He's only rostered 84%. So he's available in a nice number of those, more than I thought. He is 74% rostered on Yahoo. People looking ahead, grabbing him for a two-start week this time. And he did go five innings last time out. So maybe even going deep enough to qualify for a win. And then Bailey Over is actually 100% rostered in 15-team main events, but less than half of the 12-team online championships, 46%, and only 19% on Yahoo. And he gets, some days it's a good matchup for a pitcher, other days not so good, depending on who they're rolling out there. He gets the White Sox on Tuesday, but he gets that Detroit matchup next weekend, which has been good all year. I did mention that Detroit has scored some runs as of late, but for the season, especially against right-handed starting pitching, that's been a good matchup for pitchers with Bailey Ober being back as well. If you're looking strictly for volume, it is nice to see that there are a couple guys that are having a two-star this week that you can go after, spend a bunch of money on if you still have it, and then dump them out in the last fab period, knowing that they're going to be absolutely useless in the final three days. On the flip side, if that Sunday or that Saturday or Sunday schedule start gets pushed back, at least he's not going to get, it probably won't get pushed back far enough where they won't start at all for your team. So it's a decent little investment there. All right, let's, if we're not looking for volume or if we're not looking for those counting stats, we're only strictly care about our ratios, guys. Todd, who might you be looking at to help you out in ERA whip? I would take a look at the Cleveland relievers, Sam Henches and James Karinchak. They've been lights out for most of the season, especially lately. So they're a good general ad. Evan Phillips of the Dodgers has been great. And also now with Kimbrell not maybe getting all the save ops, he might even get a save. And then I also listed Russell Iglesias and Andres Munoz, who have been great all year. And if they're kicking around because they're not getting saves, I would say they're great to have on your bench, especially if you're looking for somebody to just slot in the last three days. Yeah, and if these, the, especially like the, somebody like the Dodgers, obviously with the news, Dave Roberts came out and said that Kimbrell's not may or may not get save opportunities. I don't know what to think of that yet because I feel like he said that earlier in the season as well. And then he got put right back into it like less than five days later. With that being said, Phillips, great. Like he's going to get the innings as well going through the last 10. I like those kind of pickups where you know that they're going to get the innings uh, regardless of where their role is going to be. And team like the the Dodgers, they usually win their games early on in the game, but he could easily vulture himself a win here or there. Kevin, who might you be looking at to ship away those ratios? Yeah, I'm actually looking at a starter. Tyler Glasnow, as Todd referred to earlier, is returning this week. I'm not counting on him to go deep enough in the game for a win or too many strikeouts, but he could help in ratios here and maybe get a few more innings than we think over the mm-hmm. couple of starts he'll get the rest of the season. He has gradually built up in each of his rehab starts. He did one inning, then one and a third, then two and two thirds in his most recent outing on Friday. And he's been lights out, seven innings pitch total, one earned run, 14 strikeouts. So this is exactly what we want to see. And Tampa does need him for the postseason, whether they're going to use him in a long relief role or they're going to try to get him built up enough over these last two outings of the season 
to start and be able to go four or five, maybe even six innings by the time we get into the postseason, they're going to try to stretch him out a little bit here. Not definitely not five innings to qualify for a win, in my opinion, this Wednesday, but he could go three or four. That's enough to help our ratios a little bit. That's the three appearances from a reliever that we're usually talking about in this spot. And if it's anybody except for glass now, like if, if it was like a Yarbrough type of situation, you just hope that they throw an opener in front of him. If he's only going to go three or four innings anyway, give him an opener and then qualify for the win in that fashion. I don't see them doing that with Tyler glass now, unfortunately. Here's Um, the problem with glass. Now he's not available in NFBC leagues for this week. If he wasn't drafted and he wasn't in most of them because he was, he had, he was out for until now at best case scenario. This is the best case scenario for his recovery. So he's not available, but on, on Yahoo, he's 28% rostered. I'd definitely pick him up. And then beyond the, if you have, if you're thinking about whether or not to save a little few dollars this week, he's somebody that in his start or early next week in that half week, sure. he might get to five innings. So if you got the money left, that's where all of my money would go next mm-hmm. week if I have all my other positions filled. I was hoping to get him for that final start. There you yeah. go. Yeah. All right, let's go. Final pitching category here. Save the best for last, of course. Saves. At this point in the season, most leagues know where you st- where you stand in the category. You might be completely out of it, depending on where you are in the category, or you might be neck and neck with, even if you're like, in 11th out of 12th place in the category, you might only be one or two saves away from the 10 spot. That still gets you an extra point in the standings. So you still got to be focusing on this. So Todd, if you are focusing on saves, who might you be looking at for the final 10 days? The two options that jumped out to me, Adam, were Domingo Acevedo of Oakland. He's gotten like four saves over the recent period. He looks like he's going to get all the save chances for Oakland. I know they're not going to win a lot of games, probably, but you never can tell. The last few days always are a little strange, and Oakland going 9-3 and three would not be shocking. <laughs> anyway, he'd be one target. And then Jose Leclerc of Texas, he's 65% rostered in 12-teamers. He's virtually all owned in the main event. But if you're in a 12-team league and he's sitting there, I think he's a good bet to get a, two or three saves over the final stretch. I would look at those guys first if you have a chance. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Oakland started nine and three or something silly like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if they ended nine and three as well. Nine and three, yeah. <laughs> Just ignore the middle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who in the middle hasn't mean anything. <laughs> those games don't matter. Kevin, who's your last chance that saves for this fat period? Yeah, you guys mentioned the situation with Kimbrel, LA, and one of the guys that could be in the mix for for a save or two, or at least an opportunity or two here is Chris Martin. And we know how good he was down the stretch for Atlanta last season. And he's doing the same thing in LA for a real, a guy that doesn't usually get more than a three out opportunity for the most part. He gets a lot of strikeouts, 66 strikeouts in a little over 52 innings, including four strikeouts in one inning pitched in August. He's a guy here. An oper- I would be surprised if he does not just save over this last 10 days of the season. I think he's definitely in the mix for the guys that will probably be sharing that role. Yeah, he was a. I believe he was one of the guys who did get a save opportunity and converted it the last time. Kimbrell was, quote, taken away from the role. He had one this uh, week as well. Exactly. So the 
it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think all attention goes to Evan Phillips just because of what he's been doing all season long. What maybe it, Phillips could also be in a situation where he's been too good and at what he's been doing in the role he's been having and to yeah. automatically push him into a closer role is not a given, especially in today's sure. game. Sure. All right, guys, final category here going into the second to last fab period is our wild card. It's whatever you want it to be. All right, simple as that. Kevin, I'm going to start with you on this one, though, so that Todd can have the last word. <laughs> Who doesn't fit any of the categories that we've talked about? Who's still worth keeping an eye on for this period if it fills a very specific need for you? Yeah, I don't have a specific player here. With it just being a half a week next week, I'm going to load up my rosters with the guys that I anticipate having value for me this week in the places where that I am fortunate enough to have an extra spot or two. I'm looking at that half week. I'm looking at Detroit, Texas, New York, Seattle, players that may be available. Relief pitchers, Todd said, grab them this week. They will be more widely sought after next weekend. Like next weekend, you're dumping – you're going to get nine pitchers in your starting lineup that have a chance to pitch, right? So people are going to be dumping everybody and picking all these guys up that we typically talk about in our ratios category. And so add those guys this week. Any of the guys we've been talking about all season long, most of them are still pretty widely available. They don't get a lot of saves. They don't get a lot of wins. So that, that keeps their roster ship down and they can be really valuable especially in a short week like that when it's the last three days of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that might have been your final word. So I think I I, re- <laughs> I might have rearranged that in the wrong way, but that's all right. We will give Todd the final recommendation here. In your wild card section, Todd, who might you be looking at that maybe didn't fit all the other categories? So I wanted to give a vote of confidence to Kyle Bradish, who I really have been impressed with. And I think he hasn't really gotten the recognition that maybe fantasy managers should. He's only 39% owned in a 12-teamers on NFBC, and he's really been strong. He has a couple of tough matchups next week, Tuesday at Boston, Sunday at the Yankees, but he's been really good lately. And Most people saw he was one-hitting the Houston Astros this past week. He had a little bit of a bobble against Toronto, but he pitched very well against Boston before, and I would say... If you got him, I would not be afraid to roll him out. And also, if you don't have him and he's sitting there at free agency, he might be better than some of these other guys with better matchups just because I think he's really rolling right now. And I think he's he, he's probably a good target for 2023. So I'll keep him in mind, if nothing else. But I've been impressed with him. I think he's showing some real talent. And I would recommend that fantasy owners at least take a look at him if he's there on your wire nice yeah somebody that obviously could fill in 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 one of those pitching categories but it's just good call out in general for somebody who has gone in the shadows of especially with everything that baltimore has been doing as far as being above and beyond what at least what fan graphs probably would have predicted as far as playoff odds i think their playoff odds this year were a little bit better than their (laughs) 0.0001 percent going into 2021 but uh yeah, yeah. they're not they're still, out of it they're not out of it. no not at all all right guys well, that's a lot of good players make sure you are spending your money and filling mm-hmm. in those spots a lot of players to drop and a lot of players that can be useful in the final 10 days to consider 
with that, all those recommendations out of the way, Kevin, do you have any other new insights rather than the ones I probably stole from you no, no. <laughs> just a second ago? No, but we've alluded to it without specifically mentioning it. We talk about it throughout the season, but especially right now, check the who's been dropped, right? Yeah. We're all in this mode where we're dropping guys that are no longer useful to us, but they that who's not useful to other people very well could be to us. I saw Jeff Zimmerman tweeted this out earlier today, and I didn't get a chance to read the article yet, but it was pertaining to this. Check who's been dropped. There's some guys out there you may not expect. And and, and like you always say, Adam, it only takes a second to look. Yeah, especially closers. There are plenty of teams that bulked up on closers early in the season, got their saves toward the top of the heap. They can't go anywhere. They're not worth a bench spot, even as good as they are. Uh, like even the closers that were doing poorly, like the Josh haters of the world and whatnot. But I'm also talking about those middle tier closers that are just, they're not going to help you at all. So they're wasting a roster spot. They're going to get dropped. These guys are available in, in, in a good chunk of leagues at the, at, especially at this point in the season. So make sure you're looking for that. It's a good call out, Kevin. All right, guys, that is going to do it. To once again, of course, thank Todd Weissman for rejoining us this week. Todd, could you give everybody a reminder where they can hear you, where they can read your stuff and anything else you have going on? Sure. Thanks uh, guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, Kevin, I'll be there at the airport on January 12th. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So just swing by and pick me up. No, I'm, <laughs> anyway, I'm at Telstar7 on Twitter, as Adam mentioned, and I'm on the Pull Hitter podcast with Rob DiPietro every Monday or Tuesday. And my article will appear, God willing, on at the pullhitter.com website. I'm still learning the new website a little, but I'm going to do my best to get it out there. And I'm really excited to follow the the main event through the last couple of weeks of the season, see who is going to win that whole big thing. But guys, you did a great job this whole season. I really appreciate you having me on, and I hope maybe I can be on once or twice next year as well. Yeah, you got to keep the leaderboard. You got to stay at the top of the leaderboard. I want to be first. I want to be first. Yes. (laughs) I got to be first at something. Oh, there we go. (laughs) All right, guys. That is going to wrap it up for episode 78 of On The Wire. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you are listening. We'll be back for the final Sunday with a detailed fab breakdown for the last fab period of the 2022 season. Of course, keep a lookout for Kevin's companion article over at pitcherlist.com. That comes out every Sunday afternoon as well. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at on the wire pod. Once again, I'd like to thank our guest Todd Whitestone for joining us. Follow him on the Twitter at Telestar7. With that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hasten, thanks for listening and bid you goodbye.